Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I'm your host. I apologize in advance. I'm just barely getting over a cold, so if I sound a little bit off or I rush through this episode a little bit, it's down to elements of my physical health, and I hope you won't judge me too harshly for it. If you would please interact with the product somehow, like, comment, subscribe, share, all of that helps. I deeply appreciate it. You know the usual spiel at this point. I say it because it works, not because I feel good about it or because I like it. But it is one of those things that everyone does because over enough iterations it produces the desired effect. So That's why we do it. All right, on the agenda this evening, UFC on ESPN plus 55 in review. Not the sexiest card on paper, darn good night of fights. And a preview of UFC on ESPN plus 56. Um, yeah, we'll go over that. We'll go over that. Uh, I don't expect this episode to be terribly long. And then, oh, sorry, after that, get into the news. So I don't want to be here too terribly long. I hope, I don't think you guys want to be, want to be, listen to me for hours on end. Unless you do, in which case I thank you very, very much for it. But we're going to get going on this, so UFC on ESPN plus 55. Your main event, Max Holloway defeats Yair Rodriguez via unanimous decision, 49-46, and then 48-47 twice. Doing this live, I was 50-45 Holloway. I'm not sold on that. I think the first round in particular I was probably wrong on. Um... And the fifth, I don't, I'd have to watch it again, but I don't think I object too much to Rodriguez getting it. Uh, No real dispute over rounds two, three, and four, Holloway rounds, clearly. Um, This is going to be one of those fights that a lot of people are going to hype. Some people are going to call this a fight of the year contender, etc., etc. I think it's probably a nominee, but... This is not your fight of the year. Um, I, I certainly don't think it's your fight of the year. I, I frankly found Holloway and Cater a more interesting viewing experience than I did this. Um, but I've had this reaction before as well, where I've been somewhat nonplussed by fights that large segments of the community crow about. Now, the first fight between Colby Covington and Kamar Usman is one of those that a lot of people were just losing their minds over live, and I was just a little bit meh. And this was one of those. It's not a bad fight. I certainly don't mean to pretend that uh, I think that's the case. But I I was not... This didn't do it for me the way it did for other people, so... Uh, I'm going to give you... And all I can do is give you my take on it. Um, as for the fight itself, I want to give Yair Rodriguez some credit. For a guy coming in on a layoff of two years to go in there with Max Holloway and perform as admirably as he did is admirable. Yair Rodriguez has always had very, very potent offense. He's got power. He's a decent puncher, but it's his off his, uh, his real power and the real danger comes more from his kicks than his punches. Again, I'm not trying to say that the man can't punch at all, but He's more likely to cause serious harm with his kicks than with his uh, than with his hands. 
And he did a number on Max Holloway's legs in this fight. The first couple of rounds, he was chopping at Holloway's lead leg with calf kicks. Uh, Max did not do a great job of addressing that. Um, he started getting... Uh, once we got like uh, back half of the second round into the third, he started finding an answer to it. Partially, Rodriguez just started getting away from it. I think he viewed the calf kick as something to set up other attacks, and then when he went to those other attacks, he stopped going back to it. I might be mistaken about his mentality there, but that's kind of how I read it. Um, Holloway also started pressuring him after the kicks more and more. It's something he started earlier in the second round. If he took a kick, he was coming back with a couple of punches. Uh, so it, it kind of dissuaded Rodriguez from kicking in that respect. Both men did a lot of stance switching. This is something Rodriguez tries to use against his opponents. I think the, ma the fact that Max is so comfortable from both stances caused him problems in that respect. Uh... Rodriguez's upper body movement, some of his defense was pretty good. I thought he did an, a very good job, all things considered, of staying off the fence. He got stuck there a few times, but was pretty good about finding a few ways to you know, weave his upper body and then circle away from it. He didn't want to get pinned there for a long time, uh, for obvious reasons, because if Max Holloway gets you back there, well, you're in for a world of hurt. So I, he definitely deserves some credit for that. Uh, his ability to weave, el especially as the fight wore on, he started going to elbow strikes more often. And his ability to weave that into more traditional boxing movements and combinations and whatnot, very solid stuff. Uh, Max gave him props for that after the fight as well. Uh, I think the big takeaway I had from this from Rodriguez, I, I want to talk about Max separately in a second. And I know he won, and I'm definitely going to give the man his due, just... I think Rodriguez has a couple of flaws that really need to be addressed. Um, one, his defense is not as porous as you might think. Um, his footwork especially, as I mentioned, it's kind of come up a fair bit recently. So that's a definite positive direction for his skill set. He's not the best defensive wrestler. Now, he's okay at it, but... I think more troubling is if he gets taken down, there's not a lot of urgency for him, him to get back up. We saw this when he... This has been kind of the book on him for a while. Uh, Frankie Edgar famously took him down with relative ease and just smashed him with elbows. Uh, Max Holloway went to the wrestling in this fight. I think it was a smart adaptation on his part. Uh, once he kind of got Yair thinking only about striking, he would throw in some kind of knee taps or d straight double legs when he could time them. And every time he got Rodriguez down, uh, Rodriguez's guard, it's not that it's not active, but he's a little bit reliant on a couple of tricks. If he can upkick you, he's got powerful upkicks, uh, and he landed a few of those, but Max Holloway has a chin made of granite but he's a little bit reliant on kind of exploding up for a triangle he doesn't do a lot of uh, position to position work he had a really nice sweep in uh, I think it was the fifth round hit a half guard sweep that I was really nice so credit there but uh, if your guards not killer and not active and I think Rodriguez isn't really either of those things it really is kind of incumbent upon you uh, 
to uh, put a lot of effort into trying to get up to force that as quickly as possible unless you're going to be content to lose the round and I, I think that kind of uh, that kind of uh, really cost him here in the second round Ma I think it was the second forgive me but Max uh, passed to full mount basically at one point spent a lot of time riding between full mount and back mount and as another credit to Rodriguez, plenty of other... <clears throat> Pardon me. Listen, I'm getting over a cold. Plenty of other people would have been just doomed in that spot. Plenty of better grapplers than Rodriguez have been doomed in that spot, to be quite candid. So he... Uh, I think he deserves some credit for that, but... He's way too accommodating of bottom position. And... I think that's a real problem, especially if he wants to fight, you know, for the belt. Uh, I'm not saying he couldn't have a fighting chance against Alexander Volkanovsky. He's dangerous. Yeah, uh, he's a very dangerous fighter. But Volkanovsky does such a great job of diffusing your offense, and uh, Rodriguez is so... And he's very sharp with it, but he's also... If he's not going full-on unconventional, he's a little bit... I can see how you can defuse him. Uh, and Volkanovski, I think, would wrestle him a lot more than Max Holloway did. Um, Rodriguez has a, a little bit of the same problem that uh, a lot of fighters have. This, so I, this is not a, just me picking at him. He doesn't like wrestling, and that's okay. It's very labor-intensive, but I think that's kind of why he doesn't care for it. It constantly uh, stresses his gas tank in ways that he doesn't want to deal with, and I don't think is really sustainable for him over a five-round fight. Uh, <clears throat> if you look at his fights that have gone the distance over five rounds, both he uh, here and then the, um, that, frankly, bizarre, borderline terrible fight with Alex Caceres a few years ago, uh, they're almost entirely striking exchanges. Uh that he can do. I think that he has a... Uh, sorry, the, the Korean zombie fight, too. That went into the fifth. Uh, he's... He can fight... He drops off after the first couple of rounds. I think that's... That's just a little bit how he goes. But he doesn't completely crater. I think by the time he hits the third-ish round, he starts to kind of find a more sustainable pace. And he kind of is able to ride it right out the fight from there. Uh, as long as it's pre uh, predominantly striking. I think the times you saw him really struggling with his gas tank in this fight were when he had to grapple. And I think it's why he doesn't do a tremendous amount of uh, trying to get up. Unless he's, real <clears throat> unless he's really able to get a good position right away as a result of wall walking or you botching uh, your control position as you, come, as you get him down. He's not... He's really just kind of going to let you be on top until he finds just the right uh, sort of counter to it. And that's not going to work all that well if he has to deal with uh, guys who are really able to push a consistent wrestling pace against him. He looked pretty well tired after, I think it was the third round. And Max Holloway forced a fair bit of grappling in the second and third rounds, and it really... <clears throat> Sorry. It really did look like he was fading. And then Max kind of got away from that a little bit in the four. I mean, he still did some, but it wasn't quite 
as uh, insistent a grappling pace as it had been before. And I think once that happened, Rodriguez was able to kind of maintain his cardio. So I think that's something he's got to address. I think he's... I've been a little bit down on Rodriguez for a lot of his career. Haven't quite seen what other people have seen. Um, I think the UFC... I stand by this. The UFC match made him very carefully in most respects. I mean, they gave the man five rounds against Alex Caceres. Granted, they came to a smaller market when they did so, but it was... uh, Just... They've been... I think they've been cautious with him, and... He's now at a point where that's not an option anymore, so... I don't know if they try to make his fight with Zabit again. They've tried to make that several times. But they might try to do so again here. Uh, I I think he's absolutely capable of fighting at the elite level. And on the right night, he might become champion, depending on who he's against uh, across the cage from. So, one of the <clears throat> one of the few cases where, despite the loss, I think Rodriguez's stock went up. I'm not a big believer in that most of the time, but I think here it did. So let's talk about Max Holloway next. Max Holloway became, with this fight, uh, the first man to land 3,000, I think it was 3,000 significant strikes or 3,000 total strikes, one or the other, in the UFC. Uh, Max kind of needed the win here if he wanted to stay in the title picture. I think there's a few caveats that go into this performance, though. Um, I don't think he's going to get the next featherweight title shot. I don't know who will. There's still a few other fights that could play out and some things that might... uh, Some some other things we have to see where they fall before we can kind of make a real serious judgment about that. But I just, I don't know that there's a big appetite for a third fight between Holloway and Volkanovski. And frankly, this performance out of Max... I mean, the man won, so th- and, you know, didn't quite turn in a historic beating like he gave to Calvin Cater, but clearly <clears throat> won the fight against a dangerous top contender. He's, he's still very much an elite-level featherweight. Here's the problem, and I think this needs to be acknowledged. Max Holloway, I... This might have just been the matchup here, so I don't want to get to... I don't want to be... Uh, I don't want to. I don't want what I'm about to say to seem like it's an immediate doom and gloom, but I think the end for Max Holloway might be a bit closer than we think. Not saying the next fight, not even saying the next year, but Max Holloway has, in addition to leading the UFC in all-time like strikes landed, and by he's not quite double-digit of the two guys in, like, second and third place for all-time strikes landing, but he's close. In fact, if he has another couple of fights, he'll probably get there. Like he's, That's just what he does. But he also absorbs a lot of strikes. He has one of the higher-end strikes absorbed per minute. I think he's around five. And he gets away with it because he's landing more, and he's keeping the pressure on his opponent, and his chin... And his pain tolerance are darn near superhuman. 
but there's a that that's, that is a finite resource and that needs to be acknowledged as i said i am not calling on the man to retire i am not saying that his next fight he's going to start getting knocked out i'm not saying any of that but i am saying that max holloway debuted in the ufc in 2012 february of 12 so he's almost at his 10-year anniversary with the ufc and i have seen every one of his ufc fights uh, his career from when he stepped in on short notice to fight dustin poirier in 2012 and he gave poirier trouble on the feet uh, poirier got him down and finished him with a mounted triangle armbar beautiful submission from poirier Max Holloway did jump off the page right away. Like, you watched that guy fight, and even though he lost, like, there's something here. I've seen his entire UFC career. And it has been a joy. It really has. I I certainly am not trying to usher him out the door. I am saying, we're coming up on 10 years in the UFC. That's a long time. This is a man who uses a very attrition-based style of fighting. And this is a man who has absorbed a lot of strikes and has spent a lot of time in the cage. Um, I don't know... I mean, look, his his name is plastered over the record books, right? Um, he was the first American to win the featherweight title. He's still the only American to hold that title. We went from Aldo to McGregor, back to Aldo, to Max, to Volkanovski, yeah. Um, I don't even think there's been an interim. Yeah, probably not. Um, anyway. Uh, he's a former champion with multiple title defenses, multiple performance of the Knights bonus. He has the longest winning streak in featherweight history. That man won 14 fights in a row in that weight class at one point. Like that's that's not nothing to say nothing of just his accumulated you know, output damages. I mean he has the most um, he has the most TKO slash knockout wins in the featherweight division in the UFC, most stoppages in the UFC featherweight division. He has you know, the most significant strikes landed in a single fight, most significant strikes attempted in a UFC fight. Uh, both those versus Calvin Cater. Uh, most significant strikes landed all time in UFC history. Like this man's accomplishments are the stuff of legend. I don't say that lightly, and I absolutely mean it. Which is why I say the following with not a sense of immediacy, but something that I think we all need to pay attention to. That is adding up. And that adds up on anybody. And... I think he might be slowing down just a hair. Now, again, some of that might have been what Yair Rodriguez brought as an opponent relative to Max Holloway. He might fight his next fight and look like a million bucks again. But it does need to be said that a guy with almost... And he's coming up on his 30th... His next fight will be his 30th professional fight. In the UFC for 10 years... And of his, let's assume he has one more fight, so let's assume 30. 
26 of his 30 fights will have been in the UFC. He came into the UFC at 4-0. and You just fight that long in the UFC with his style against the consistently high level of... I could run down the list of guys this guy's fought. I think I did last week. I'm not going to go over it again. He's fought everybody. And he's beaten the vast majority of them. I, but I think he knows that you know, the end might be close. Look, if you just looked at the guy and went, okay, he's got about 30 fights, former champion, 29, you might think you've got a good, you know, three more years out of him. I, I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying three years might be a bit optimistic given how he fights and given the years and the miles. I could be wrong. I really could. And frankly, as a fan, I hope I am. Because I love watching the man fight. I really do. So I say this also so that we can all... Because I think we need to appreciate Max Holloway while he's still fighting. I think he's... Part of the reason I... One of the other things that came out after this fight that I think has me... That has me thinking that a little bit... He didn't seem all that keen about, uh, I want another title fight. He seemed a bit more keen on a rematch with Conor McGregor, which, frankly, I think would be great. I would favor him to beat Conor. Or some other big fight at lightweight, potentially. He's, I think Max Holloway right now is looking more for a handful of big checks than he is trying to regain the title and establish another championship legacy. And let me be clear, that is, I am not judging the man for that at all. If he thinks that the end is in sight, and again, end in sight does not mean I've got one more fight or I've got two more fights. I, I feel fairly confident in saying he does not have five more years in the UFC. Now, if you so if he if that's what he thinks or if that's what some of the people around him might be keying into you've got you know a handful you've got a very combat sports has a short shelf life if max is trying to maximize his earning potential for his last couple of fights frankly fighting volkanovsky for the title a third time might not be the biggest box office attraction he might be better served trying to coax Conor McGregor into another fight. Or something similar. And I mentioned, I don't blame him. If he's trying to get his last little bit of money and then you know, be prepared to, for the exit, I applaud his forward thinking if that's the case, to be candid. I'm not looking forward to the day the man retires. Because, as I mentioned, his career has been a joy and I've watched every fight of his in the UFC. Live. But uh, I think we all do need to be aware of the fact that as remarkable a run as it has been, and it, the stuff of legend, one of the best featherweights of all time, you can argue the best. You know, he, beat jo he stopped Jose Aldo twice in the third round both times they fought. Stoppage wins over Anthony Pettis, over the current lightweight champion, I know there was a neck injury involved in that, and 
it sucks that it had to end that way back in 2015. He TKO'd Charles Oliveira in 100 seconds. This man is a living legend. And I, I say what I'm saying because, well, I think he's still got a few more... Again, he's probably got a couple of more years still. But... I don't think we have... I don't think Max is going to be around for another... Fi I don't think in five years. My hunch. Might be wrong. Half hope I am. But that's my hunch. So, uh, solid performance from Max Holloway. Demonstrated his ability to mix up the fight. Uh, taking it where he had the better chance of winning. All the credit in the world to him. I hope he makes bank for whatever his next couple of fights are. I really do. That was your main event. The rest of these should be a bit faster. Marcos Ogerio de Lima defeated Ben Rothwell via TKO in 32 seconds. He just cracked Rothwell with a right hand and got him against the fence and teed off. A bit of an odd stoppage here. Herb Dean went to stop it after a right hand where uh, Rothwell sagged. His legs got... And then he kind of grabbed de Lima and went to pull him off. Rothwell, who was panic shooting for a double leg, they kind of spun around Dean and then... Lima was like half holding a guillotine as they went down. He kind of looked at Herb Dean like, well, because they kind of got pulled out of Herb Dean's grasp. He went, well, we're we really stopping this. You know, did you stop this or what? And Herb confirmed. Um, a lot of people jumped on Herb Dean for this one, and given recently he's been a touch more indecisive in his calls, I can see the, I can see the criticism. I'm going to be a bit more lenient here personally. He, gra he did grab DeLima, and it was Rothwell who kind of continued the action after that, and it was it felt a little bit more like he just didn't want to get bowled over in the takedown, but he stuck by the decision to end it. So, uh, again, the, a little bit of an odd situation that came out here, and with Herb's track record, which is generally positive, but I think lately might be trending a bit more negative, uh... I think some criticism is not without uh, not without warrant. Um, Felicia Spencer defeated Leah Letson via TKO, 4:25 of the third round. Um, Felicia Spencer did a decent kind of like Randy Couture, Cain Velasquez impression, pushing pushed Letson into the fence, never let her off there. Kind of worked short punches to the body and head, elbows, knee strikes. Got her down once or twice. Worked from top position. Uh, Finish came when she basically got to full mount. It was three-quarter mount, technically, against the fence and just landed enough shots to warrant the stoppage. Um, look, women's featherweight is barely a division. Leah Letson was coming off of a significant layoff. Um, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot there. Uh, let's see. Chaos Williams defeated Miguel Baeza via TKO punches 102 of the third. I have a, I still have a lot of belief in the upside of my, of Miguel Baeza, but between his last loss and this one, um, he's got some stuff to sort out. I mean, look, his last fight, uh, he took a step up in competition against Santiago Ponzinibbio, who's been a top 15, if not top 10 guy for quite some time. And he gave him a good fight, but he kind of it faded down the stretch and he ultimately lost. Chaos Williams is not Santiago Ponzanibio. I, I don't mean that unkindly. Um, Baeza has some pretty serious retooling to do. He looked a touch gun-shy, and his defense might be a bit looser than uh, 
than we thought. Uh, Williams, you know, he's dude's a heavy hitter. Um, it was a good finishing sequence. Uh, let's see. At bantamweight, Song Yudong defeated Julio Arce via TKO head kick and punches, 135 of the second. Um, Arce made a decent account of himself in the first, but Song, like, the second round, both guys kind of came out and got after it. That ultimately favored Song as he was able to land a couple of good punches. A nice head kick from in close. Like, his hip dexterity is quite good if he could land that kick from there. Then he just never let him off the hook once he rattled him with that head kick, so... Uh, good on Song. You know, Song Song is a very, very relevant bantamweight player. I don't think he gets enough credit. I mean, he's never... He's only got one loss in the UFC. And he debuted in the UFC in 2017. His UFC record is quite good, actually. It's... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6... It's 7, 1, and 1. Like, that guy's someone you definitely pay attention to. He should be... He should start moving up the ranks. I think he was ranked coming into this. He should be fighting ranked opposition next. That was your main card. As for the prelims, uh, Joel Alvarez defeated Tiago Moises via TKO. Um, elbows and punches, 301 of the first. Um, Alvarez is a very large lightweight. In fact, he missed weight here. His second time missing weight in a row, which is a problem. Um... He, uh, look, Moises did a decent enough job at first, but the size of Alvarez was a real problem for him. He kept getting backed up. Uh, he got rattled, and then once Alvarez kind of got him against the fence line, he was unloading with just brutal elbow strikes. Got things down and then just uh, pounded him from on top. Uh, Alvarez has a lot of ability. Uh, he does, He's another guy who doesn't get a lot of play. But he's now won four in a row. The problem is he's missed weight in his last two fights. With 159 and a half and then 175 and a half here. I don't know if the UFC will make him fight at 170 next. He said he wants to work with the UFC Performance Institute and really get his weight cut dialed in. Uh, how old is he actually? That might be playing a factor. He's 28. Okay, he should be done Um, so, point being, I don't know if they'll make him fight at welterweight next. I would. He's a, he's a big guy. He's like 6'3". Yeah, he's 6'3". He wouldn't be out of his depth at uh, welterweight physically. So they might make him take at least one fight at welterweight. Uh, again, you miss weight twice in a row, that's a pretty bad indicator. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that, but... Uh, if he is able to stay at lightweight, watch out for that guy. He's really good. Uh, women's flyweight, Andrea Lee defeated Cynthia Calvillo via TKO corner stoppage between rounds two and three. Good on Calvillo's corner for doing so. The first round I gave to Lee, but it was a little bit competitive. The second round was not. Um, Andrea Lee started really punishing Calvillo with longer range strikes, especially front kicks to the body. She, she hurt Calvillo to the body uh, visibly a couple of times. Uh, Calvillo just didn't have an answer for the footwork, didn't really have a way to consistently close distance to get takedowns. And if she couldn't do that, like 
I think she got one, but Lee was very, very diligent about immediately getting back up and separating and getting back to the kickboxing. Uh, solid win for Andrea Lee. I've mentioned before, she was on the wrong end of a couple of split decisions that I thought she won, both to Joanne Calderwood and Lauren Murphy. Uh, the Roxanne Modafferi fight, no question, she lost that one. But I, I thought she kind of got hosed by the judges against uh, Calderwood and Murphy there, so... Uh, she's a, she's a legitimate flyweight. Uh, I, look, would she beat Valentina? Probably not. Is she better than her record or her ranking coming into this would indicate to you? Absolutely. Uh, so, good win for her. We'll see what comes up next. She might get a title shot just because that division is what it is. Featherweight, Sean Woodson defeated Colin Anglin via TKO body shots, baby. 430 of the first. Sean Woodson is an enormous featherweight. He's 6'2", uh, with like a 78-inch reach and longer limbs. It, I don't know how the man makes 145, but he does. Uh, he just, he kept Anglin at distance. He sniped him with long-range strikes. He dug to the body, hurt him to the body badly more than once. Uh, let this fight be a little bit of a learning experience for any of you out there. If you hurt someone to the body, you have time. You've got about 10 seconds. You don't need to go nuts. Draw the hands, go back to the head, draw their hands up, then go back to the body. You don't have to... The, the clock is ticking. There should be a degree of urgency, but it should not be frantic. That's the beauty of body shots. They linger. You can build to them, get them to a breaking point, build back to them. But you don't have to go nuts. You can be, you can still be methodical about it. And he was, and he got a good stoppage. Uh, Courtney Casey defeated Liana Jojua via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards, worst fight of the night. I uh, think Jojua missed weight for this, yeah. Uh, not a whole lot here. Uh, Rafael Alves defeated Mark Jacquesi via guillotine choke, 148 of the first. Um, despite being Brazilian, I think he prefers Rafael Alves. Uh, solid performance out of him. He hurt Jacquesi with strikes. Uh, hit a really nice right hand, actually. Jacquesi started panic wrestling, got caught in a guillotine. Dunzo. Uh, not a bad fight. The bloom is pretty well and truly off the rose for Jacquesi at this point. Uh, I'm not calling for the man's job or anything, but when he debuted, the UFC pretty clearly had aspirations for him that... He has not lived up to. And kicking off the main card, Daun, uh, the prelims, sorry, Daun Jung defeated Kennedy uh, Zechiku via knockout. Elbow strikes, baby. 304 of the first. These two kind of stood in front of each other for a lot of this. And were just kind of swinging bombs. And Jung, after the fact, said that was part of his game plan. He wanted to throw blows into the guard of Zechiku to weaken his shoulders and his arms. Then he could go to, uh, once your guard is weakened a little bit, he could go to different weapons and then go through it. The elbow strikes do that quite nicely, as it turns out. He wobbled Zechiku uh, with a bit of a right hand slash elbow. Um, the fact that they were, I think this only worked because they were in opposite stances. Um, that just kind of gave the punch a bit, more, uh, bit of an, uh, a nice lane to go down. 
once he had him hurt, he backed him into the fence, got close enough, and just elbows from hell. Uh, you could see Zetchiku try to get his guard up, but your guard is um, is a nice thing to have. You definitely want it up. But you do have to have resistance there. Otherwise, you're just... Uh, I heard somebody put it this way, and I forget who. Um, Might have been Boss Rutan. But if your guard is right against your head and you're still getting hit full force, all you've done is basically put a focus mitt, uh, take, take a focus mitt, tape it to your head, and then say, go ahead, kick me in the head. Like, no, you're not going to do that. Your guard needs to be strong, and it needs to be separated from your body to help diffuse energy. Once you've had to block a bunch of blows, and your shoulders and your arms get a little bit tired, your guard gets a little bit weak. Then the stuff starts coming through it. This happens in boxing all the time, and all they can do is punch. And I don't say that dismissively. When you start adding elbows to the mix, like Jung did here, um, they can slip through different openings, and you can leverage you can leverage the framing of your arm in a different way to just batter through it, uh, which he did here. Good stuff from Jung. Jung's another guy who doesn't get a lot of play, partially because light heavyweight is a dumpster fire. But that man has not lost since 2015. Uh, he hasn't lost at all in the UFC. He has one draw in that time when he fought Sam Alvey. Uh, he's 5-0 and now. 5-0 and 4-0-1 in the UFC. Excuse me. He's undefeated. Uh, that's a light heavyweight that you should be paying a bit of attention to if you care about the division. There's some serious ability there in that guy. And that was it. Fairly short card, all things considered. A lot of stoppages, only two decisions, one of which was the main event. Uh, you know, this coming off of the heels of UFC 268 and UFC 267, a uh, great set of three events for the UFC, if we're talking about the action delivered. You can only name a couple of duds across three events, and that's a rarity. And that's a real rarity these days. I mean, considering that most of the month of October was a dud, to get these three events back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, eh, it was kind of nice. Uh, your post-fight bonuses. Fight of the night, Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez. Well, Rodriguez broke his foot in that fight, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Um, yeah, at the end of the fight, his right foot was a balloon. Like, that thing is clearly busted up. The man kicks really, really hard. Unfortunately, that has some consequences if your opponent's able to check or if your distance is a little bit off. But that was, that was your fight of the night. Performances of the night, Chaos Williams and Andrea Lee. Um, little bit surprised. Uh, look, there, was a, there were a lot of stoppages and there were a lot of people who could have easily uh, received those awards. Uh, I would have given Jung something, personally, but... Uh, this happens when you have a good night of fight. There's always going to be stuff that gets... Uh, fighters that get kind of left out in the cold like that, so... Uh, yeah, good night of fights. I have very few complaints about that. Alright, let us move on to this coming event. UFC on ESPN plus 56. Your main event is Ketlin Vieja and Misha Tate. One would assume the winner of this fight probably gets a title shot... Um, some of this is a bit contingent. The UFC's pretty clearly been trying to rebook, uh, to book a rematch between Misha Tate and Holly Holm. Uh, 
which I don't blame them for. Those are two women who still have some name recognition. They had a... Their first fight was... What it was. Uh... But a rematch for that fight wouldn't be the worst idea in the world, all things considered. And they won't just book it for some reason. Uh, Tate came back from a significant sabbatical slash retirement. Beat Marion Renault in the last inner comeback fight. Uh, Vieja. Vieja's in a bit of a rough spot. She missed weight for her last fight and then was beaten by Yana Kunitskaya. She needs the win pretty badly here. She's got a lot of ability. But this is going to be a telling fight. If she can't beat or at least significantly hang with Tate, um, she's going to be in real trouble career-wise. I'm still going to lean towards Vieja, but eh, I, I do not feel confident of that at all. Your co-main event is the best fight on this entire card, I think. Uh, Michael Chiesa and Sean Brady. This is a heck of a fight. Um uh, Chiesa coming off of a loss to Vicente Luque, his first loss at welterweight. A big setback for him. He was on a good winning streak before that. Sean Brady, meanwhile, is undefeated, 14-0, 4-0 in the UFC, and is looking for a breakthrough performance. Both men are talented grapplers who aren't afraid to get into a scrap on the feet if necessary. I think I give the edge in straight wrestling to Brady. Chiesa's back-taking is really, really good. Uh, this is a heck of a fight. I'm a little bit bummed this isn't five rounds, to be candid. I actually do lean a little bit towards Sean Brady here. I think Kiesa can be out-wrestled. And Brady is not only a good wrestler, he's a very good overall grappler. So, I'm going to lean towards Sean Brady, but this is the fight I am most looking forward to on this card. Um, I am, however, looking forward to the next fight. Bantamweight fight between, uh, I think he goes by Ronnie Yaya now. He's gone back and forth, whether it's Hani or Ronnie. I think lately it's been Ronnie Yaya. Ronnie Yaya, an underappreciated veteran of the sport. Man, this will be his 40th professional fight. He moved to the UFC when the UFC absorbed the WEC in 2011. Debuted beating Mike Brown. Uh, this is a guy who's just been in the trenches for a long time. Uh... I, I love watching the man fight. He's a lot of fun most of the time. He's taking on Mr. Perfect, not Kurt Hennig, but the the South Korean Kyung Ho Kong. Uh, Kong is a fairly notable prospect at bantamweight himself. His UFC record is quite good. I thought he beat Alex Caceres in their first fight, his debut fight. That was a split decision that went to Caceres that got overturned. He lost to Chico Camus, then he won three in a row, lost a tough split decision to Ricardo Hamos, and has won three in a row. The last two have been split decisions, but I've agreed with them. He's looking for one of the bigger wins of his career, if he can pull it off. Should be a fu- should th This has a lot of potential. I'm gonna lean towards Kong. I think the years and miles have caught up to Yaya, but it's a good fight. Uh, women's flyweight, Joanne Calderwood. I think she goes by Joanne Wood now. She married... I want to double-check. I think she married John Wood. Um, <coughs> pardon me. I think so. I'll double-check that uh, on Fight Night. So if I'm incorrect, I apologize. But she's coming off of a split decision loss to Lauren Murphy. She absolutely should have won that fight. Um, I really disagreed with that decision. I thought that was cluckified.
Uh, she's trying to get back into the title picture. On the other side, you have Tyla Santos. Um, Santos on a three-fight winning streak, three and one in the UFC. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Calderwood, but Santos is no joke. And kicking off the main card, Davey Grant will fight Adrian Yanez. This is a surprisingly good fight. Um, Grant just had a three-fight winning streak snapped by Marlon Vera, who has kind of really come into his own. Yanez, on the other hand, on a long winning streak, including being 3-0 in the UFC. All of them finishes. My inclination here is Yanez. I, I'm a pretty big believer in his abilities. If he's a, uh, But Davey Grant is no... Davy Grant is not going to be an easy fight. This is a pretty legitimate step up for Yanez, who's been fighting... I don't mean this unkindly to these gentlemen either. He's been fighting a little bit further down in the ranks. Uh, guys like Victor Rodriguez, Gustavo Lopez, and Randy Costa. Grant's a notch above them, uh, but they're, we're going to see which of these two guys takes a step forward here. So that's your main card. As for the prelims, Tucker Lutz will fight Pat Sabatini. I'm okay leaning towards Sabatini there, but yeah. Lightweight, Hoffa Garcia and Nathan Levy. Probably Garcia. Women's strawweight. Loma Lukbunmi was supposed to fight. Who was she supposed to fight? Because um, it wasn't her opponent. Uh, Cheyenne Bays. She's supposed to fight Cheyenne Bays. Bays pulled out. Uh, Instepped. Setting another record, uh, Lupi, Lupita Godinez. This will set a record for Godinez. She already set the record for the fastest turnaround in modern UFC history when she fought on a week's notice. When she Her, her last fight when she lost to Luana Carolina. This will make her the fastest fighter to get to three fights in UFC history. Again, modern era before, uh, since they stopped doing one-night tournaments. Her UFC debut was October 19th of this year. Or 9th, excuse me. Her second fight was the 16th. She'll be fighting again on, uh, again, November 20th. I can't do math. Uh, there's a real argument to be made. That's a not optimal fight pace to, to maintain. But especially against Lukbunmi. Loma Lukbunmi is... She's legit. Uh... That could be a really rough night for Godinez. In fact, I am gonna lead, I'm gonna pick Luke Bunmi for whatever that's worth. Uh, lightweight Farziam will fight Terence McKinney. Um, I'm okay picking Ziam here. He's not a de- he's won his last couple of fights. He beat Jamie Malarkey and Luigi Vendramini. Um, that's not a that's not a gimme though. Uh, McKinney's no joke. Flyweight, Cody Durden, and Orichi Long. I'm okay picking Orichi Long here. Um, that could be a decent enough fight. Featherweight, Sean Soriano and Shailen Nurdanbeke. I think I'm going to go with Soriano here. Um, Soriano just... Actually, no, I'm not. Soriano went 0-3 his first stint in the UFC, fought his way back to it, lost immediately to Christos Yagos. I'm going to go with Nerd and Becke, but don't be surprised if that goes the other way. That's all I'm saying. And kicking everything off, a women's flyweight fight between Luana Pinero and Sam Hughes. Probably go with Hughes, but uh, she's still kind of raw. So hopefully she can sort some of that out. But 
that's your card. Again, it's not a great card on paper, but there's some good stuff there. Uh, the main card in particular is surprisingly strong, all things considered. Yeah, Kiesa and Brady's a darn good fight. Vieja and Tate's an acceptable main event. Grant and Yanez could be some fireworks, and Yaya and Kong uh, has some has some potential. That's a bit of a sleeper fight. So, this Saturday, November 20th, I will have coverage of that in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. I do hope you will stop by and say hello. I always appreciate <clears throat> all the support you're able to give me. All right. Um, um, bits of news kind of floating out there. Um, we had some fights made, some fights fall that fell through. Uh, let's go with what fell through first. We'll just kind of dovetail all these together. Uh, Jorge Masvidal is out of the fight with Leon Edwards. Uh, some undisclosed injury. This has paved the way for a lot of speculation that Masvidal and Colby Covington will wind up coaching the next season of The Ultimate Fighter. If I may bring back a 90s... A staple of 90s slang about how little I care about that and how much it annoys me. Gag me with a spoon. The non-trivial chance none of you have heard that particular idiom, but it was real, it was used. I promise. I was alive during... I feel really old this week. You know, it occurs to me. So I saw this online. I can't unsee it. The 20th anniversary of the Fellowship of the Ring is coming up in December. I am old. There's just no getting around it. I, uh, so the next three years, are, each is going to be a 20th anniversary of each of those movies. Um. <clears throat> I saw those movies in theaters when they came out. I was in high school. I'm old. Um, we also got uh, made, for as far as fights go, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Bilal Muhammad. That's a good fight. If Wonderboy wins that, he might be able to make a case for a title shot. <clears throat> it's not the best case in the world, but it could be made. Now, that's also a pretty big step up for Bilal Muhammad, so I'm looking forward to that one. Um... I think there was something else that we got some clarity on as far as a fight night goes. Double check real fast. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, did we... Um, dang, I can't remember what it was. Oh, that's a bit, of, that's a bit vexing. Um, we didn't quite get about order for UFC 269, but I think they did, um, they did further confirm fights on that card, I think was what happened. Um, with Masvidal and Edwards off of that card, uh, we're probably gonna, we've got some good, that's a good card, I've mentioned that before. Uh, you've got Kai Kerr France and Cody Garbrandt and Garbrandt's flyweight debut, Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponzinibbio, Dominic Cruz and Pedro Munoz. Oh, I remember. <clears throat> uh, related to this, Hamzat Shemaev has said that he's willing to step in and fight Leon Edwards if Edwards wants to remain on UFC 269. I don't know that Leon Edwards will take that fight. I don't know that the UFC will even make relevant offers to both parties. But that would be an astronomical test for... Kamzat and uh, frankly, if he w 
if Shemaev were to blow th- let me clarify if Shemaev blows through Leon Edwards if this fight get, comes together he might get the next title shot just because so we'll we'll pay attention to that and see if uh, see if that fight particular comes together or what all might happen but UFC 269 is still a very stacked card despite losing Edwards and Masvidal all right, I think that's everything. Let me check Twitter one final time, see if anything crazy is broken. All right, doesn't look like it, so let's do plugs and get out of here. Just before recording this, I recorded a Damn You Hollywood with Mark Radlich and Ronnie Adams. We discussed the two Netflix movies, Red Notice and Army of Thieves. Red Notice had its debut this weekend to a non-trivial amount of fanfare from the Netflix people. So if you're interested in our thoughts on those two movies, you can listen to that particular show over on the W2M network. Uh, Earlier this week, there was a Damn You Hollywood for the Eternals. If you want the thoughts of myself, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina, and David Wright, we spent some time talking about that particular movie, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, This week... Uh, sorry, I was also part of the TV party for the Mar- the Marvel Disney Plus series What If. That was hosted by Jesse Starcher, features myself and Alexis Haina. We kicked that show around a little bit. Uh, if you're so inclined, again, you can find all of that over on the W2M network. This week, no damn you Hollywood, no major film release worth talking about. Instead, because we covered the first season of it, Mark Radlich and I will do a TV party for Lock and Key Season 2. And boy, am I, Mark accused me of, at one point when we're going to review this, he's predicted I would stand up and urinate all over this show. While he was being facetious, metaphorically, he's not wrong. I hated this more than the first season. And if you listen to my review of that, you should that should be saying something. So if you're interested in that, Mark and I will be talking Lock and Key Season 2 on Tuesday. Uh, my usual slate of... Coverage is always live in 411mania.com. AEW's Dark Elevation on Mondays, MLW's Fusion Alpha on Wednesdays, WWE SmackDown on Fridays, and whatever UFC event is going on on Saturdays. That is my usual schedule, and I do deeply thank all of you who support all of my writing in that particular respect, whatever the genre. So thank you all very, very much. As usual, I always appreciate you guys. Thank you again. All right, that's it. Thank you. Until next uh, next week, we will review UFC on ESPN plus 56. <clears throat> and only... Let me double-check only that. I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, I'm pretty sure... Yeah, there's going to be a week off on the 27th because of the proximity to Thanksgiving. Because the next event after that is UFC on ESPN 31 on December 4th, which is headlined by uh, at Bantamweight Jose Aldo and Rob Font. Also in that card, Brad Riddell and Raphael Fiziev. Those are darn good fights. Take a look at that card. Okay. There's not a whole lot beyond that, but those are those top two fights are quality. Those are quality fights. So we'll be back on the 21st to review the Tate and Vieja event. We'll be back on the 28th to preview Aldo and Font. So I thank you all for the support. Until next time, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.